Do you feel overwhelmed with work right now? And have you tried every trick in the book to get to the bottom of your to-do list, deal with your deadlines and get away before tea time on a so-called half day? If so, then this episode's for you. I'm chatting with Anna Dearman Cormick, a time management coach and podcaster who gets what it's really like to feel overwhelmed and like you'd do anything to get your life back. Anna has a very pragmatic approach to dealing with your workload and behind the practical tips and suggestions lies a deeper philosophy about life. What brings your heart joy? What's really important? And how can you steward your time and manage your schedule to live true to your core values and what really matters to you in life? So listen to this episode to find out how to make the most of your admin time and make it super efficient. Listen to find out the secret to successful delegation and how to work out which things you need to delegate or drop altogether to live a full yet spacious life. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for doctors and other busy professionals who want to beat burnout and work happier. I'm Dr. Rachel Morris. I'm a GP, now working as a coach, speaker and specialist in teaching resilience. Even before the coronavirus crisis, we were facing unprecedented levels of burnout. We have been described as frogs in a pan of slowly boiling water. We hardly noticed the extra long days becoming the norm and have got used to feeling stressed and exhausted. Let's face it, frogs generally only have two options. Stay in the pan and be boiled alive or jump out of the pan and leave. But you are not a frog and that's where this podcast comes in. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? Your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours. Then it's time to get your life back and that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60-minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash getyourlifeback. So it's great to have with me on the podcast today, Anna Dearman Cornick. Now, Anna's a time management coach and a podcaster. So welcome, Anna. Thanks for being on. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah, me too, because uh, Anna, we, we sort of linked up through a mastermind group that, that we're part of, and I've listened to podcasts with you talking about time management, and I was really impressed. I thought, right, I've got to get this lady on to talk to my <laughs> listeners. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate it. It's, it's my pleasure. I mean, I'm just interested. How did you get into this whole sort of time management thing in the first place? Oh, my. Well, thank you so much for asking. I, I've got to say, it, whenever we're small children and someone asks us what we want to be when we grow up, time management coach was definitely not my response. So I actually started my career in the marble halls of the United States Capitol. I was a congressional scheduler and I spent about 10 to 12 hours a day, it seemed like, parked in front of a calendar managing one of the most hectic schedules in America. We're talking hundreds of meeting requests and speaking requests and 
and committee meetings and you name it. It was just, it was a lot to field. And so very early in my career, as I was learning how to manage my own time as a young professional, I was also managing the time of a congressman. So after spending some time there, I really missed home and I moved back and kicked off about a decade long career in the high stakes world of crisis communications and government affairs. Oil spills, hurricanes, tornadoes, droughts, let's see, universities on the brink of financial collapse, nonprofit embezzlement schemes, you name it, every day was another crisis and every day was creating some kind of order out of chaos. But as you can imagine, that kind of that kind of lifestyle really began to take its toll on me after a while. My boundaries were out the window. My relationships were crumbling. My health was not in a good place. And I was really beginning to miss out on experiences that meant a lot to me. I was stepping away from dinners. I was missing baby showers. And one day I decided that enough was enough. So I walked away from my prestigious career in communications in search of something different. And I wasn't exactly sure what that was going to look like, but I knew that there had to be a way to marry that interesting time management experience that I had gained early in my career with my communications background in order to help professionals either dig themselves out of that tough place, that dark burnout place that I was in, or maybe even help them avoid it altogether. So now I'm a time management coach and host of It's About Time, a podcast sharing stories and strategies to inspire better work, life, and balance. And you could say that I'm on a mission to help busy professionals stop feeling overwhelmed and start spending time on what matters most. Wow, that is that is some mission. Gosh, Anna, wow. <laughs> I mean, that story of, you know, feeling like you were missing out on life, that you were overwhelmed, that you weren't getting to things you wanted, that your job was your life. I think that that's going to be ringing true for a lot of my listeners who are, I think, facing, I think it's fair to say, probably the biggest workload that they've they've ever faced in yeah. the UK with, with doctors after COVID. I'm sure it's probably the same in the US as well. You know, mm -hmm. the, the demand has gone up exponentially and people are just feeling overwhelmed. And... I guess that the, 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 there might be slight antibodies to the thought that time management is the answer, but I, I know that a lot of it is, and that's why I wanted to, to get you on the podcast. But can I just ask you what, what you think the difference is between, you know, professionals who have a bit more control of your diary of their diaries in terms of, you know, that they can schedule meetings, emails, that, you know, they've got a lot of time to do the work and professionals who have those schedules, like they're, they've got clinics, they're seeing patients or they're in court or, or they're doing stuff. Do you have to have different time managements for the, the two different types of things or are there techniques that can apply across to both? Well, I can tell you that while both are absolutely challenging and they each have their own unique challenges, if you're someone who has more control of your meetings and how you spend your day, that's more strategy that you have to apply to your work. But if you're someone in the medical profession who so much of your calendar is set for you, you really have to focus on those strategies that enable you to make the most of the time that you do have control over. Over. So there is definitely a slight difference. And I think that that word control, that's, that's the thing that sort of I teach about time and time again, because 
the stressful thing is when we don't feel that we've got any control right. over it. And and I guess the thing that we feel out of control of at the moment is is workload, that there's just too much work mm-hmm. for the time available. And it's like, I don't know, I always think it's a bit like, you know, if you get a balloon and you fill it with water and then you try and squash it into a into a jar, well, it just won't, it won't go. <laughs> it <laughs> I doesn't work. work. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't work. And I think we spend a lot of our time trying to squash that balloon into the jar and then realizing it, it, it isn't going to work. And mm-hmm. so, you know, and I, I'm sure you'll probably talk about, about this in a second, you know, just getting a better schedule mm-hmm. and just making sure your diary is okay. That doesn't really cut it, does it? Because you, whichever way you cut it, you've still got too much work to fit in. So we're going to have to try this time management thing in a slightly different way. Right, definitely. And, you know, when it comes to having a, a calendar or having a schedule that you, you don't have control of, one of the ways that you can feel a bit more in control of it is simply by taking some intentional time at the beginning of your day to look at the day of at the day ahead and mentally walk through your day. Okay, first I have this appointment, then I have this appointment, then I have this appointment. Because when you start your day or your week for that matter with that bird's eye view walking through your week or your day, you're able to anticipate problems in advance, anticipate obstacles in advance, begin coming up with solutions. And you're able to, instead of taking things minute by minute or hour by hour and almost being you know, surprised by what's coming next, you're able to have more confidence and more clarity about the rhythm of your day. Mm. That makes that makes a lot of sense because I think what I've noticed, particularly with healthcare professionals, and particularly with the fact that we've a lot of us are, are doing stuff virtually. So mm. we we might be in a surgery or we might be in a hospital, but actually a lot of our work is still on, online. So we might be zooming into the patients mm-hmm. from a hospital for or from a GP surgery. So we're sat at our desk and we're not having the natural breaks in our schedule like we're used to. So we're not even getting up to call patients in because it was just sort of working through a, a thing. We're not having the natural coffee breaks or the natural lunch breaks when you, you'd get together. So nice. that's sort of looking through your diary and thinking, okay, when am I scheduled to work? And when am I going to schedule my breaks in? And and what am I going to do with my breaks? I think it's really important. And I know you've, you, you talk about this a bit as well, don't you? About I think you talked to me about before about giving breaks a purpose. Yes, yes. Well, getting that overview of your day, that's the difference in walking into your day proactively versus reactively. Because if you finish a Zoom meeting and then ask yourself, okay, what's next? You're, you're scrambling, you're being reactive. But if you wrap up a Zoom meeting and know, okay, I have 10 minutes. With this 10 minutes, I can take a take a break. I can get a snack. I can I can know what to do with it. And absolutely giving your breaks a purpose when you have breaks. I actually worked with a dermatologist as one of my one-on-one time management clients in the last year and she struggled with the same exact scenario. Her day was felt very out of her control. She was taking appointments based on what was scheduled for her. And in the five, 10 minute breaks between seeing patients, she would fall into her default mode of checking her phone. Mm. And that resulted in her having to contact patients and do transcriptions or patient notes 
in her off hours, in her evening hours, and she felt like she never had a break. So what we did is we worked out a, a strategy where each morning she would decide, okay, today during my breaks, first I will do this. Then I will use this break for patient notes. And even though she was making tiny bits of progress during each break, she was still making progress instead of saving it all for the evenings when she wanted to spend time with her family. Hmm. Yeah. So it's just about that planning and, and that looking forward. And I think with with healthcare professionals, often they've got sort of clinics or surgery uh, schedules in or meeting schedules in, and then and then they get their sort of well, I call it downtime. It's not downtime, but it's it's admin time, and mm-hmm. that is the that is the time that's really really difficult because there's always too much to fit into those small admin slots. It, it could be a couple of hours, but it could be literally half an hour right. uh, before the next surgery. So, what advice do you have for people on on how to manage that admin time so it actually works? Absolutely. So I think that that is very, a very strategic way to approach your admin time is almost to think of it as though it's a meeting with yourself. And when you think about the most effective meetings, they have agendas, right? They have, they have a step-by-step flow so that everyone is on the same page about the order that business will be handled in a meeting. And so when you approach your admin time with an agenda that you create for yourself, and I would, I would have to imagine that as a, as a healthcare professional, you're typically doing the same types of admin week in and week out, whether that is returning phone calls or um, patient notes or, you know, any number of things. My top recommendation for using your admin time well is to create an agenda that you use each and every time you sit down to do that admin time. What's the first thing that you'll do? And after you work on that, what's the second thing? And what's the third thing? And to every time you sit down for admin time to follow that same exact agenda. And what happens when you do this is you begin to train your brain to know when you sit down for admin time, what's coming? And it helps you create this mindset that uh, enables you to focus. It enables you to focus faster. Whenever you follow the same order or the same flow, it enables you to almost put yourself on autopilot in a way because you're not sitting down and thinking, okay, it's admin time. What am I going to do first? You sit down and you think it's admin time first, I'm going to do this. And you know what that's going to look like for you each and every time. Oh, that makes that makes so much sense. Because we also know that batching is is a really good idea in terms of efficiency. So you do one type of task at, at once. And I think yes. a, lot of, a lot of us, we go, right, okay, I've got to do that referral lesson. Then, oh, there's that patient note. And then, oh, there's that call. And I've just got to do this. And, and then we're, we're scattered and we still feel very overwhelmed because we don't have a plan. So just mm-hmm. having that automated checklist that we know, this is what I do when I sit down, I do this and then I go to this and I go yes. to this. And then you'll start to feel more in control because you'll start to get a feel of how long things things should take. Mm-hmm. Now, do you have any advice for what sorts of tasks should go first and what, what should go last? <laughs> I think that this is going to be great for personal preference. You know, we all have those things on our list that we like to procrastinate, that we like to save until last, and then we never get around to doing them or we end up doing them at the very last minute. So I would say that this is this is a time when it's really important 
for you to know yourself. And maybe you're someone who needs to start with that thing that you want to do the least. You know, there's a concept called eat that frog, where you start your day by doing the most important thing that you need to do. And I think it's it's a saying by Mark Mark Twain, I believe, where it's if you eat the frog at the beginning of your day, that's the worst thing that you'll have to do all day. <laughs> so you just kind of get it out of the way. And I'm probably completely botching it. I'll have to find it and send it to you. But it, it really goes with the with the title of your show. You're not a frog. Uh, <laughs> but, but by starting with either your least favorite or the toughest or the most important thing and getting it out of the way, everything else will feel so much easier. Yeah. Oh, I can really, I can really see that. So, you know, say if there's that patient you got to contact that, you know, it's going to be a really difficult consultation. Mm -hmm. If you're just putting it off and off and off, or even replying to a difficult letter or something like that, right? it's just hanging over and you're dreading it, but you get it done. And then, oh, the relief, then you can just go to other stuff. Exactly. Rip off the bandaid and don't let it hang over your head while you're trying to do everything else. Yeah. And something that I found helpful as well as the 15 minute rule. Have you heard of that one? Tell me about that. Ooh, and that's just a way of getting starting on a project that, that you don't really want to do. So, so for me, it was a pension form. We have a nightmare with our pensions in the UK mm. at the moment in the NHS. And I needed to submit a form and someone, I needed to resubmit a form and I didn't know where to start or get the information from. And I had been putting it off and putting it off. And the 15 minute rule says, if there's a task that you find really difficult, or you don't want to do, you set a timer for 15 minutes and you say, I will do this for 15 minutes yes. and you do it. And the timer goes off and you stop. Now, nine times out of 10, when you've started to do it by minute 14, you're like, oh, that was easy. I've done it. Yeah. <laughs> or I'll just carry on for another five minutes. But if you sort of give that mental thing with yourself, the agreement, though, I'm going to stop after 15 minutes mm-hmm. and I'll do it again tomorrow if I need to just gets you over that hurdle of procrastination. Honestly, I've used that so many times and it it really helps, even though I know what I'm doing to myself. Oh my goodness. I, I love that. I've never heard it called the 15 minute rule before, but that makes so much sense, especially for big projects. That's actually a huge recommendation for people who are starting a running habit and they, they want to train for a 5k or something like that. And instead of saying, I'm going to train for a 5k, it's I'm going to run for five minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, and if they get to that five minutes, they can stop. And if they want to keep going, they can keep going. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In my case, it would definitely be stop. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Great. So, yeah. So you so uh, what you're suggesting is for these ad- admin times, make yourself a checklist yes. that you're going to use each time. So don't, make, don't have to make a new checklist each time, but just make one that you get out and you use. And you follow. And if possible, do the most difficult thing first. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. And, and before you know it, you'll slip into it as if you're on autopilot, moving from task to task. Yeah. Any other suggestions? Let's see. I would say that in addition to making sure that you have your workflow set for admin time, that you set expectations with others who may who may want to still steal your attention during admin time, because that's that's 
that needs to be protected time so that you are using it for its set purpose. So if that looks like you work from home and you're telling your partner or you're telling someone that, you know, you share your home with, this is my admin time. I'm going to be in deep focus just to to give them that heads up. Because when you're not in a meeting or when you're not engaged with a patient, it can be very easy to let distractions creep in, in the form of, interruptions in the form of notifications and checking your social media or ending up down a rabbit hole if you happen to be on your computer, which most of us are during our admin times. And so setting expectations with others and really setting yourself up to you know create that environment of focus is what's really going to help you make the most of that admin time. Mm, that, that makes a lot of sense. I think I guess the temptation is, you know, when we're a lot of doctors have to do, well, a lot of, a lot of lots of people have to do extra admin in the right. evenings and at home. And, and I think we end up not getting the best of both worlds because we sort of think we're like, okay, well, I want to sit with the family, but I'll just have right. my laptop on and I'll do it. And then you're not present with the family, but you're not present right. with your work. And it just all feels rubbish and people want to interrupt you. Of course they do because they want a bit of your time and it just gets really frustrating. And mm. yes, it's probably better to say, I just need to go into this room for half an hour, get exactly. this done, then I'm going to be with you. But I think what you said about distractions often we are our own worst enemies for that in terms of oh let me just check that let me check my emails I've got all these notifications pinging in on my phone right and we really are conditioned to respond and this goes back to to prehistoric times when we were living in in caveman tribes and I know this probably sounds crazy but but it's true at that time we in order to survive, the the community and the response to others in our, you know, in our tribe essentially was life or death. Because if you did not respond, if you did not participate, then you would be ostracized by your by your group. And that would that would affect your opportunity for survival. And now, despite the fact that technology has advanced, we live in an incredibly advanced society we still have that internal, we still have that urge to respond anytime someone reaches out, even though it's not a life or death situation in many cases. And so my top recommendation for combating distractions during moments of focus is to have a notepad off to the side. And I call this making a shiny things list. I get it. You'll push for time and with over 200 episodes, how do you know which is going to be the one that lifts you out of the saucepan and back to thriving at work? Never fear, the You Are Not A Frog podcast quiz is here. Find out if you're a super squirrel, brilliant badger or mighty mole and I'll send you a personalised playlist with the top five episodes that will make the biggest difference to you. Discover your top of the hops top five episodes sorry and leap into your happiest thriving self again just go to you are not a slash quiz a shiny things list because how often do we get distracted by something shiny that can completely derail our focus and so as you are sitting down to do that admin time as you are working through the agenda that you've created for yourself when something off topic pops into your head say oh I think we're out of toilet paper I need to place an order or oh it's my mom's birthday next week I need to make sure to call her instead of stopping in that moment to add a reminder to your calendar or place an order or you you 
take that, that shiny thing that popped into your head and you write it down on that notepad next to where you're working. And then you get back to work. And then at the end of your admin time, you've got a collection of shiny things. You've got your shiny things list. And at that point you can decide, okay, what needs to be dealt with now and what can be, what can be added to a list to tackle later. I absolutely love that. I'm going to do that straight away. In fact, while you were saying that, I went, I thought to myself, oh gosh, yeah, I need to order a swimming costume because I'm going away in a couple of weeks. <laughs> exactly. We, we the shiny things pop into our heads yes. all the time and they have the potential to send us down a rabbit hole because we now have the technology to immediately take action on things, even when it is not in our best interest. Yes, yes. And, and that happens even when you're in conversations with people. It drives me mad when we're at, yes. you know, fam- family do seem to be the worst. You know, we're sitting there with all, you know, brothers and sisters and all and things like that. And someone says something and someone's like, right, I've got to check that. I've got to look that up. We're like, no, get off no. your phone. Yeah, but I'm just checking. No, you don't need to do that. You really don't. Right. Just be here. Get yes. off your phone. Exactly. Yeah. It's that access that really Mm. can be to our detriment sometimes. So make a shiny things list. (laughs) Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. So that, that is really helpful. So, so far we've got make yourself a checklist with the same thing every, every time, make yourself a shiny things list. Anything else you think might help us? (laughs) Oh goodness. Let's see. And I think one of the things that that we all do need to do is not just manage our admin time well but it's also get rid of stuff get rid of Ah. stuff out of that admin time and I know that we've talked before about the importance of delegation yes Um, and I know that that is something that most doctors are pretty rubbish at and I mean it's it's, (laughs) Are most people just rubbish at delegation? Yeah, yeah. so often we feel that we can do things the best. We, We can do things the right way because we're doing things our way. And because we, a lot of us struggle with perfectionism. I mean, it's, it's a fact of life for many of us. We want to create work product that we can be proud of, that we feel great about. And a lot of times that results in us hoarding, holding on to tasks that we really should be letting go of in order to spend more time on those activities that we are truly the best at doing that that are where we are truly valued. That's so true. And we really need to learn to delegate. And I always say that, you know, if you're doing something that someone in, else in your organization on a, on a lower pay grade, perhaps, or who has yeah. more time could do, then you're actually, you're actually wasting money and you're not focusing on those things that, that only you can do. Absolutely. But I think a lot of the time we just use the excuse of, well, there's nobody else to do it. There's nobody to delegate to. And I think mm-hmm. sometimes that is the case, but often that's not the case. Is that your experience? I, I do. I do agree with you. In a professional setting, it, it also very much depends on the professional setting, but very often there are things that can be delegated to others in our professional setting if we set that person up for success. Mm-hmm. You can't just take a task and throw it to someone and say, here, do this now and expect them to be successful or to do it the way that you want them to do it. It takes 
intentional delegation in order for it to be successful. And I think that's where so many people get tripped up is that they have this idea that delegation is simply telling someone to do something when in reality, true delegation is understanding the task that needs to be done, understanding the process that it takes to complete the task, and then essentially teaching, giving that person what they need in order to be successful at it. You know, there's actually a a phrase called delegation by abdication, where (laughs) so many people, their first or early attempts at delegation just involve them throwing the task to someone else and saying, here, do this, figure it out. And then they wonder why when that individual who has been delegated to, when there when mistakes are made, when it has not done, when it has not been done correctly, but the expectation was never set. The expectation was never communicated. What success looks like was never communicated. And so, you know, just like we talked about creating an agenda that, that is actually a written down captured agenda for your admin time. If there's something within your work that you're hoping to delegate, your, your best bet is to actually capture those steps into a workflow. And so if there's if there's something that you're thinking, oh, I really would like to get this off of my plate. And, you know, there are different ways to identify the best things to get off of your plate. But if you've, you've decided, oh, I, I want to delegate this to someone else in the office, next time you start that task, grab grab a, a notepad or something and capture each step. Okay, how do I do this? First, I do this, then I do this, then I do this. And so when you delegate, you're able to give those steps to the person who will be taking on this task. And so that is empowering them. That's setting them up for success instead of setting them up for failure. Now, I think this is the nub of why we find it hard to delegate because we don't know how to get these workflows onto paper. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What would you suggest? Would you suggest literally it's pen and paper, write down every step, or would you suggest we do it in a Word document or an Excel spreadsheet? Or, you know, h- how do we actually do it and what level of detail do you need? Oh, that's a great question. Well, it depends on the type of process that you are capturing. If the process is something that is completed on a computer, it absolutely makes sense to do a step and possibly capture it in a Word document. Do a step, capture it in a Word document. If you are accustomed to using something like a project management tool, uh, Trello is one commonly used, Asana. There are many different options to capture that you can use to house workflows like this. But if it's something that you're doing at a computer, at a desk, absolutely capture it step-by-step in a a Word document type process. Google document type place. And then in terms of the level of detail, imagine that you're explaining to your mom how to do this (laughs) task. Imagine that you are explaining to, you know, an intern how to to do this task. You know, you, you want to use language that is going to be understood by the person who will be completing the task. And so you have to take that into account. And, And then on the flip side, if the task that you are aiming to delegate is something that has you up and moving, something that's not done at a desk. You know, this is a situation where you may want to have a clipboard and for an entire day, you carry around this clipboard with, you know, everything else that I'm sure you have to carry around and you do a step and you jot down the notes so that you're you're really capturing each step. Because a lot of times when we are so used to doing these things ourselves, 
we've put ourselves on autopilot and we move through the steps without thinking about them. But when you have to take time to write down the steps and make sure that there are no gaps present and that there are no assumptions that we're asking someone to make, that really enables us to delegate in a much more, in a much more holistic and a much more complete. And that makes a lot of sense. I think when I've come a cropper with this, I realize it's because I've made assumptions about mm. what people's, you know, I would, I assume that they would know that that was the right thing to put there without, without telling them or right. they should do this and I'm just thinking of people of, of doctors in their their offices and stuff something that that's been really helpful for me when delegating is I I have a, an assistant who when they're showing someone how to do something they actually record a screen sort of capture yes. and they just go through the state so if you're doing something on a computer there are lots of programs you could literally just just capture I mean obviously you have to be careful if you've got if it's patient confidentiality but you right. know you, you use a test patient or something like that actually exactly. record, record your screen so that person can go back and watch what you've done that yes that is such a great recommendation loom is an incredible program that you can use to re- record your screen and you can actually build a folder in your Google Drive or wherever you save files that is a collection of those recorded process videos that's I love that you brought that up that's just something that I would never have thought of but I've seen it being used and it's been used really really effectively so so delegation really is about capturing your workflow telling someone you know being really specific about what they need to do and then I, I think for me it's then being okay with things going slightly wrong or mistakes or, you know, or or being happy to check things in great detail Mm -hmm. before I let someone just go off and, and do it. Absolutely. It's recognizing that there will be a learning period. Mm -hmm. There will be a, a, there will very likely be mistakes made and the level of detail that you provide in the workflow that you that you give to the person that you are delegating to that level of detail will determine what those mistakes will look like. And and so that's something that you can think of as you are capturing your workflow is what's the worst thing that could happen here? What's the worst thing that could happen? And if you think through what's that worst thing, you're able to come up with a solution or a a safety net that helps make that workflow and helps make that person being delegated to, it, it just increases their chances of success. But at the same time, you also have to, to really consider, okay, is this a mistake or is this just not the way I would have done it? Is mm-hmm. this a mistake or is this just my personal preference? Because it's, if it's a personal preference, just communicate the personal preference next time. If it's a mistake, update the workflow to correct the mistake. But just be just be cognizant, be aware of the fact that someone may do something slightly different from how you would do it, but that doesn't make it wrong and that doesn't make it incorrect. Yeah, totally. And that's the biggest problem, isn't it? You know, they've not done it exactly the same, the way I'd have done it. And it's not exactly perfect, but like you said, everyone makes mistakes. So it could be a mistake. It could be a problem with the the workflow. You haven't been really clear, or -hmm. it could be just not the way you want it. And I think the problem is when you're in a, you know, when you're in healthcare, you, you, there are some mistakes that just are really, really significant. So it's like you said, work out what the, the really, what the worst case scenario would be and, and Mm -hmm. take steps to mitigate, mitigate for that and make sure, you know, 
that that's not going to happen. So delegation, really important. I know that when we we're talking before, you also were talking about delegating outside of work. And I think that's something that we don't do enough. Yes. Oh my goodness. So especially, <laughs> especially when you are a medical professional and your days are packed with appointments and meetings and clinics that you don't necessarily have control of. And then you've got these precious evening hours, these precious off hours that you have to spend with family, friends, engaged in hobbies, maybe, you know, doing, spending time the way that you want to spend it. You don't want all of those hours to be drained by housework Mm -hmm. or, you know, laundry or maybe, maybe meal prep. Um, You know, we all have different things in the care and keeping of our homes and families that we love doing that bring us joy. And so I want to say, first of all, I would never encourage you to delegate something that you truly love doing. I have friends that have that feel such joy going to the grocery store and walking up and down the aisles. And that is wonderful for them. That is not how I like to spend my time. (laughs) So I choose to outsource grocery shopping any opportunity that I have so that I have more time at home with my family. And so when you have such precious off hours, I would encourage you to be very creative and think through what is it that I can delegate in my home and personal life in order to get my time back. Some examples of that include, of course, outsourcing grocery shopping and delivering, outsourcing grocery shopping and delivery. I recently began outsourcing my laundry using a service here in the States called Hamper and have had amazing, I've just gotten so much time back that I'm not spent, that I'm not spending um, folding, you know, (laughs) baby clothes because Mm -hmm. they're very small and there are a lot of them and children make a lot of laundry, but Could you outsource meal planning or prep? Could you outsource any pet pet grooming? I don't know. Just there are so many different amazing ways that we can get our time back by outsourcing personal, um, you know, our personal activities and responsibilities. Even something as simple as signing up for automatic bill pay is something that is an example of that automation and that outsourcing that gets your time back. Yeah. Yeah. I think, oh, that is, it's so important, isn't it? Well, I've had some quite good um, experiences with, you know, I I actually quite like cooking, but it's the planning and it's the shopping. So, you know, it's all, we, you know, it's ordering these meal boxes that come, you know, with maybe three or or four, it's the ingredients in them, but you don't have to think about it. You you can just choose the menu a couple of weeks before and then they turn up, you can cook them and you've got nice fresh food, but you don't have to go shop for it. You don't have to plan it. You don't have to do that. I've, I've really enjoyed doing that. Yes, that actually sounds, that sounds like a lot of fun. I think I would enjoy that. That's one thing that we as a family have never jumped into are are the meal boxes, but oh my gosh, I think that would be so much fun because it really takes the pressure off that, that hard part. (laughs) And I tell you what, hot tip here, the really good thing is if you, if you have teenagers or people in your family that aren't used to cooking and they say, what's for, what's for dinner tonight? Well, you can say to them, 
choose one of the meals and you can cook it. And it's actually got my teenagers cooking. I love that. <laughs> you know, and I so love it's teaching that. them. It's very step by step. And they've done it and they've been really proud of themselves. And even my even my 10-year-old would cook a full meal for the family because it was step by step by step and all the ingredients were there. It's yeah. How so that's fun. good. <laughs> oh, I love that. Well, I have a two and a half year old and a six month old. So I will let you know. Yeah. Probably, I, I wouldn't give it to the two and a half year old. That's probably not going to work, is it? No, probably not. I actually just this past week gave her a little plastic knife and taught her how to cut, how to slice her bananas. So that's about how far we've gotten. Very good. Very good. Oh, and we're nearly out of time, but what I wanted to finish off with was asking you, because I know you mentioned this just a bit earlier about working out what the, what are the things that we should be doing and what yeah. shouldn't we do because we know that we have too much to do we need to eliminate automate delegate but yeah. how do you know which ones you should keep and that only you should do and which ones you should either get rid of or, or delegate to somebody else Oh, I love this question. So one thing that I work with my time management coaching clients on is really zeroing in what which activities fall within their zone of genius. So your zone of genius is at the intersection of passion and proficiency. These are the activities in your life, in your work that you absolutely love doing. They set your soul on fire. You're just your best self whenever you are doing these activities. And on top of that, you're really good at them. You're skilled at them. Maybe you have a natural talent. Maybe you've studied in order to build that proficiency. But those things in your genius zone are the things that you love doing and that you're great at doing. Those are the things that you need to hold on to and spend as much time as possible doing because those are the activities that are really going to allow you to shine and be your best self. So what about everything else? So think of it in terms of passion and proficiency. What are those things that you are passionate about but you're not so proficient at doing. Maybe they're fun for you. They're really good time wasters because you, they're fun for you to do, but but you're not that good at them. So it takes you a lot longer. So anything that falls in that, that category, that part of the grid, you know, high passion, low proficiency, that is something that needs to be delegated. You know, you look at the flip side. What are those things that you are incredibly proficient at doing, but you have no passion for them. You are, you're good at them. You know how to do them and you do it well, but they kind of suck all of the joy out of your soul. I, I have some things like that in, in, in my business, for example, creating graphics to promote my podcast. I'm really good at it, but I don't enjoy it. And so that is something that I am in the process of delegating because when you hang on to those things that even though you're good at doing them, they, they, they kill your energy because you don't enjoy doing them. So that's an example of something that you can delegate. And then finally, things that you are both, you have zero passion for or very low passion for, so you don't like them and you are not very good at doing them. So they take you a very long time. You tend to procrastinate on these things prime activities to be delegated, those things that you don't like doing and you're not good at them anyway. So anytime you are evaluating your responsibilities and you're thinking through each one, ask yourself, how passionate am I about this and how proficient 
am I at this? And once you're able to answer that question, you, and, and I know you're probably thinking, oh, I can already think of so many things <laughs> that I'm not passionate about and that I am not proficient at and let me get those off my plate. But really thinking through using that lens enables you to be very intentional about what you delegate. And it, it, it also enables you to prioritize delegation as well, because you want to completely offload those things that you're not good at and that you don't enjoy. So that can be where you start and then work your way into the other categories so that before long, you're spending the majority of your time in that genius zone, doing that work that you love that you're good at. I love that idea of actually, yeah, starting off the stuff that you hate and you're bad at, right? <laughs> delegate that stuff because I mean with the best will in the world no one's ever gonna be able to have a job where you're only ever doing the stuff that you're good at and you're passionate right. about I mean ideal world great but actually yes yeah, start the, the, the number one thing to delegate is the stuff that you're bad at and you don't like doing and then maybe work yes work around so yes the stuff that you're bad at even if you enjoy doing probably either have it as a hobby and so it doesn't matter yeah. or yeah. yeah delegate that and then yes for me it's the stuff that I'm good at, but yeah, not particularly life giving, not much energy. Right. That's the difficult stuff to delegate because I know it I is. know I'm good at it. And and sometimes people won't do it as well as I will. But 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 if I want my time back, exactly in that zone of genius. And think about what it's keeping you from doing. Anytime you are doing that thing that you're good at and you're trudging your way through it, that's time that you could be spending in your genius zone. And very often, well, I find that when people really start to look at their work responsibilities through the lens of passion and proficiency, they realize that it's time for a job change. Mm. They realize that very, that a high percentage of what they do day to day does not fall in their genius zone. And it really causes them to get their wheels turning about, well, what would be in my genius zone? What kind of career would really enable me to spend more time there? Is it changing my specialty? Is it going back and getting an additional degree? It can open up so much awareness about what you enjoy and how you're spending your time and how you want to spend that time. You know, we only have one life. We've only got one shot at this. And we want to, we want to spend it you know, doing what matters most. We want to look back on a life with no regrets. And that starts day by day by managing your time well and being a good steward of that time that we're given. Oh, wow. Fan fantastic advice. Thank you. And in a second, I'm going to ask you for your, your top three tips. While, while you're sort of thinking of that, I, I think it's probably just worth saying, I, I love this idea about your genius zone. And I think I would encourage listeners as well, not just to apply that to, to life at work, but apply that to life outside of work as well. Mm -hmm. We do spend a lot of time outside of work, I think, doing things that aren't really zone, feeling that we ought to and feeling a bit guilty. And I think, you know, like you said, life, life is too short. We need to make those choices and doing stuff that we're good at and we're passionate about really, really important. So thank you. Thank you for that. I'm going to, I'm going to make my little list of things that are in my zone of genius uh, <laughs> in a little while, but before we go, what would you, out of everything we talked about, what would you say your, your top three tips are that you, you would be giving to people? So this is going to possibly have you scratching your head and thinking, wait, how is this time management advice? But I 
wholeheartedly believe, I fully believe that time management begins with heart management. Until you get crystal clear on what truly matters most to you, you can't begin to effectively create a calendar or a schedule or manage your time. So if you are someone who truly wants to begin managing your time, stewarding your time better, my first recommendation for you, my first tip would be to sit down and write out a vision for the future. What is that life that you want to create for yourself? What is that experience that you want to have? What is your vision for the future? Because so often when we live day by day, we're only putting one foot in front of us and we're just getting to the next thing. And we're not thinking about those long-term goals and dreams and aspirations that we have for ourselves. And after you take time to create that vision for yourself, my next recommendation would be to set goals set goals because again having goals whether that is whether those goals are financial goals or they are setting a goal to go on a, a vacation or to reach a, a new level the next level in your career when you have those goals in mind you know how to spend your day so much you have so much more clarity around how to spend your day because you're always able to look at your look at your goals and ask myself is this decision that i'm making about how to spend my time is this in alignment with my goals that is going to help me achieve that vision that i've created for myself and then my third tip you've got your vision you've got your goals my third tip would be to articulate your core values articulate your core values, the five to seven words that represent what you believe in, what's important to you, how you want to spend your time, how you want to be remembered. Because when you know, without a doubt, what those five to seven core values are, you can use those as a decision-making tool, as a lens, as a North Star, whenever you are deciding how to spend your time, whenever you have new opportunities, whenever you have a decision to make, you can look at those core values and think, is this in alignment with what matters most to me? If it's a yes, go for it. If it's not, it's not worth your time. And so starting with a vision, making sure that you have goals goals in place and knowing your core values, those are my top three tips for managing your time well. Oh, brilliant. Anna, thank you. That is just that is just tremendous. And those tips will be all in the show notes as well. And what I'll make available as well to listeners, um, if you want to, is a, a download of the Thrive Week Planner, which is a simple tool I've created that people can actually create what an ideal week looks like for them um, and then compare that to their current week and maybe look at, look at what what change for them so thank you so much for being with us that has just been absolutely brilliant and and if people want to get hold of you how can they do that Sure. Well, I would first invite you to tune in to It's About Time, my podcast, sharing stories and strategies to inspire better work-life balance. You can tune in wherever you listen to podcasts. I have a new episode that drops every single Monday. And if you're on Instagram, I would love to be friends. Come give me a follow on Instagram. If you have time management, productivity questions, please send them my way. It would give me so much joy to talk with you over on Instagram brilliant and we'll put all those links in the show notes there so people can find you so Anna that's great I think I'm gonna have to get you back another time will you come back again (laughs) I would be so honored thank you so much (laughs) thank you and speak soon thank you 
Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please share it with your friends and colleagues. Please subscribe to my You Are Not A Frog email list and subscribe to the podcast. And if you have enjoyed it, then please leave me a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. So keep well, everyone. You're doing a great job. You got this.